0: Well thanks for being here this morning, I'm so glad you all survived the snow. Uh, I got to do something fun yesterday, I uh, officiated a wedding, and I do that uh, from time to time, it is one of the many services that I offer, and uh, it's always an honor really to be invited to do a wedding, and so this was a couple that's connected to the wider Bethany family, and uh, this wedding was over at our Green Lake location, so beautiful sanctuary, great setting, And one of the things this couple chose to do, we actually did this at our own wedding, is uh, they had a unity candle, right? So anybody ever seen this in a wedding where it's like, just like up here, there's the two candles, and then right in the middle, there's like a bigger candle. And so the the thing is, you know, the mom or the dad from each family, they come up and they light the candles on the side, and then they tip the candle and they light the unity candle, symbolizing, symbolizing the uniting of two families, right? We've all seen this before. Well, you've never seen it done when I've been around. And this couple lit the unity candles. That was kind of earlier in the service. It was great. And then I'll just say this as a pastor. It is always interesting and awkward when we get to the end of the service and I say the lines that everybody's waiting for, which is, you may now kiss the bride. Because if I'm standing here and the couple's right here and they're kissing each other, that's great. That's what everybody's waiting for. But, like, what do I do? Like... I'm just standing here. Like, I kind of move out of the way so the photographer doesn't have this shot of me kind of going like, (laughs) okay, you know. But just, you know, next time you're at a wedding, think about the pastor standing up there and like, oh, man, that's just awkward for that poor person. (laughs) So they kiss each other. You may now kiss the bride. I step back, and my wife will love this, I hip-check the table where the unity candle is, like, full-on, just boom. And I'm just like clumsy as I get out. Like this is very normal in our household. I have the spiritual gift of spilling things. I hip check the table where the unity candle is, and I turn around. Nobody's looking at me, by the way, because everybody's like, "Yay! You may now kiss the bride." So I'm like, "Oh my gosh! I just knocked over the unity candle. Is it still lit?" because how terrible of an image would that be at the end of someone's wedding if the pastor snuffed out the unity candle like, oh, just kidding You guys, no, you guys don't need that, you're fine thankfully it was okay so I scramble back there, I prop it back up again I check the other two to make sure they're okay and then I get back in my place like, nothing happened we're fine, we're good and nobody cared, because the couple got married everybody said, I do, it's all good The point I'm trying to make here is, when I went home, my wife asked me was the wedding, and I said it was great, well, it was fun. I was embarrassed at my clumsiness, and my almost burning down Bethany Greenlake... And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to say, you know, yeah, well, I kind of did that thing that I always do. You've seen me do countless times. You, above all people who love me through my clumsiness, I, just, I don't want to admit that yet again I had another one of those moments where I nearly burned a building down. It's an example of my brokenness that I'm clumsy. Like, it, it's not, you know, a function related to some aspect of my sinfulness necessarily, but it's a part of the way that sin has fractured the world is that, I'm clumsy or the fact that, you know, some of us aren't very good at math or like any of these other things that are our particular hang-ups that we're embarrassed about. The enemy loves to kind of take those things and make us feel insecure and make us feel like, "Oh, if you were to actually admit to your brokenness in front of people, they wouldn't really love you. They wouldn't really accept you. They wouldn't really identify with you." And so for me, clumsiness, even though it's a silly thing, like I hip-checked a table, like what's the big deal? It is something that I felt embarrassed enough about that I didn't even tell my wife about it. So there you go. Now you're finding out, Jill. It's an example of how our brokenness can kind of drive us inward. Like we don't feel safe when our brokenness is on display. We don't feel like being honest with people about the things that we really struggle with. We, we don't feel like our brokenness is actually um, something that other people would care to hear about. Like it might cause us to receive more isolation or more kind of turning away. And we have plenty of that in our lives already, don't we? So the problem is that for many of us, we either hide our brokenness, we don't even tell the people we love about it, or we just pretend it's not there. If you're uh, maybe kind of more of like a hyper-competitive person, if you're just focused on the next thing, I want to you know, get the next big deal, I want to move on to the next thing, I want to move on to the win, you don't even think about hip-checking the table. You're just, you're just on to the next thing, Right? So we either deny our brokenness, we, su- we kind of pull it underground, or we just keep moving so quickly that we never take time to actually sit with it and ask God to redeem it. I think Jacob is a little bit like those of us who just blast through our brokenness. Jacob's story, if you read through uh, various chapters of Genesis, he has quite a story, and we're going to touch on different points of it today. But the theme that we're going to kind of discover as we get along here is this, broken release, brokenness releases our true identity. Who we really are is actually released by our brokenness. Brokenness releases our true identity. Now, I want to offer a caution here. We live in a day and an age when there are lots of different forms of brokenness that people might say, well, that's just who I am and this is me and if you don't love this about me, you don't love me. Sure within the context of how we know Scripture to be clear and truthful in our lives. I'm not advocating that people say, well, my brokenness releases my true identity, and it's contrary to Scripture. I'm not suggesting that that's what we're going to go after today. I think we always need to hold up our lives against the witness of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, and line ourselves up as best we can with what Scripture calls us to do and to be. But to the extent that we do that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, brokenness releases our true identity. It sets us free to be the people that God has called us to be. And this plays out in Jacob's life. And we're going to look at this. There's an outline in your bulletin. We're going to kind of do a little refresh. Who is Jacob? We're going to talk about the new identity that's given to Jacob. That's kind of the passage that Josh read for us. And then we're going to talk about how Jacob steps into the transformation that God longs for him to have. So who is Jacob? Jacob. Jacob is one of the major figures in the book of Genesis. I had to do a refresher this week on who he is and what his history is and all that kind of thing, so I'm going to try to offer us a condensed version of that. Very quick flyover, I'll reference some chapters in Genesis, and I'd encourage you to read them on your own. Jacob's story begins with his grandfather, Abraham. Abraham was on the scene in Genesis chapter 12, and when we first meet Abraham, he's nobody. He's nobody. He is a wandering pagan in the wilderness. He has no faith that we're aware of. He is not this hallowed figure yet because the God of the universe has not entered into his life yet. But that's precisely what happens in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, you, you don't know me, but I know you. And I have a plan for you. And it is for you to be the father of many nations. And then there's this wonderful line, All the nations, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. God blesses Abraham by inviting him into this covenant, this relationship with him. And then he says, everybody else that you will ever meet will be blessed because of this relationship that we have together. This is a great entry point for the gospel because Abraham did nothing to deserve the God of the universe coming into his life and saying, I will be with you. I will bless you. He, he did not live a religious life before this, from what we can tell. He did not pray the right prayers or give money to the right organizations. All he did was say yes when the God of the universe entered into his life. That is, that is a picture of the gospel, friends. He didn't do anything. This free gift was given to him. So God blesses Abraham. God always keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to Abraham, blesses him with children, one of whom is this son, Isaac. And you may remember the story of Isaac. This is uh, where Abraham is tested. Like, I pray no parent in this room ever has to be tested. Where God says to Abraham, hey, this son that you love so much, I, I'm asking you to sacrifice him to me, literally to offer his life to me. And you remember they go up the hill, and they're, you know, Isaac is actually quite sharp for a kid his age, and says, where's the ram? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide, God will provide. And at the last moment in Genesis 22, God stays Abraham's hand and says, go sacrifice that ram over there. Don't sacrifice your son. I'm setting you free. And it's amazing, if you think about it, just in this two-generation skip, Abraham and Isaac, how faithful has God been to this family? How granular is God's involvement in their life. This is one family, just barely two generations of one family, and God has been so gracious and so involved in their lives. It's remarkable. So then Abraham passes away, Isaac lives a long and healthy life, and he has several children, two sons, Jacob and Esau, right? We're remembering our flannel graphs. One of the earliest stories of Jacob and his brother Esau, their twins, is this very deceptive moment. And this is where we're going to start to kind of uncover bits and pieces of Jacob's character. So Isaac is the uh, elder of his family. He's the eldest male in his family. He's the head of his family. And so his responsibility in this day and age would have been to bless his oldest son. Sorry, ladies, this is a very male-focused culture. His oldest son was to receive this very special blessing from him. And we see this depicted as well in the story of the prodigal son. This blessing was not just, you know, kind of making the sign of the cross and saying, go have a great day. This was like material blessing. This was provision. This was kind of setting up his eldest son to take on the mantle of leadership in his family. It was a big deal. And so what happens with Jacob and Esau? Well, Jacob gets wind that his father's about to bless Esau and give him this birthright. Jacob is hungry for a blessing. We don't really know why. There's something in his story where he just wants to kind of get in there and get the best and be the first in line. There's something driving him. And so Jacob and his mom are talking about this and they kind of go, you know what? Isaac can't see real good. Let's send you in there dressed up like Esau. Let's make him think you're the elder brother and he will bless you. Uh, this is a family taking advantage of someone else's disability. This is about as bad as it gets. And this is in the Bible. Like, this is real life, you guys. And they pull it off. Jacob uh, dresses up in kind of hairy clothing, which kind of makes me think that Esau was just a wonder of a man to behold. Like, wow, really hairy fellow. But he shows up, he feels like Esau, he smells like Esau, and so Isaac says, you have my blessing. And not five minutes later, it seems, Esau comes in there and says, okay, dad, I'm ready for my blessing. And what does he say? I've been deceived. I already gave it. Did I not already give it to you? What's happened? He's confused. He's already blind. He's bewildered. And now he's had his own family take advantage of him. And right at the center of it is Jacob. So what's the point I'm trying to make? Think about the emotional accumulation of baggage and garbage that Jacob already has in his life. Try to picture the state of his heart after all these years of deception. He's tricked his dad right before he died. He partnered with his mom in in essentially robbing his own family of resources. He took away his elder brother's birthright in a shame and honor culture that was about as shameful as you can get. He's been shamed, actually, by this point in the story when we meet Jacob before he wrestles with God. He has been deceived by his uncle Laban. You remember this story. He wants to marry this beautiful woman, Rachel, and Laban says, no, you can't do that. And then Laban deceives him, gives him the wrong woman to marry. I don't quite know the optics of that, but that's how it worked out. And then he works for seven years to earn the hand of the woman of his dreams. But he's still longing for something he's still stuck he's still after this thing that he can't seem to get his hands around up and down over and under there's always some striving he's never at rest this is the place where we find Jacob and now just before the passage we had read for us today Jacob and Esau are back around each other again they're in the same country again they haven't. We, we don't think they've seen each other very much, if at all, before this moment. So since Jacob snuck that blessing away from Esau, maybe they've had no communication. Maybe, like many of our families, they've kind of had a cold war where they're just not talking to each other. Maybe uh, there's just this rage and this accumulation of, of bitterness and anger toward each other. We all know how this feels. And this is the moment that we find Jacob in. This is the moment when he sends his family and his children away because he's facing the prospect of facing his, little, his elder brother for the first time and they are both ready to go toe-to-toe in battle. This is a scary moment for him. Everything's kind of catching up to him, right? And you got to wonder, do you start to think if you're Jacob, oh, there's too much water under the bridge. I'm never going to be able to fix this with my brother. I'm never going to be able to get this right. We all think this from time to time, do we not? We all have moments where we go, it's too far gone. I, I've messed this up too badly. I've messed up my marriage too badly. Or I've been so rude to one of my children. Or, or that coworker will never trust me again. We, I think because we have a high responsibility value in our community, we tell ourselves, I'm responsible and my responsibility has failed here and there's no way to fix it. There's no way which is really a misappropriation of God's power in our lives. Because with God, there is always a way. Is it not true, church? With God, there is always a way. And so the way that he brings into Jacob's life is pretty interesting. Now we're going down to the brokenness reveals our true identity, that second point. Jacob's about to face his brother. And so the night before their meeting you're picturing him emotionally, but picture kind of what he needs to do. He's surrounded by his wife and his wives and children, wives plural, not a good idea. He's surrounded by all these people that he's responsible for. He sends them away. He says, you guys need to get out of harm's way or I don't want to have to deal with you or something. So he's alone. He's sitting by the river all by himself. And honestly, if I'm Jacob, that's when I have my panic attack. That's when I'm thinking to myself, like, I got somebody coming after me tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do. Is my family going to be killed? Like, what's going to happen here? This is as dangerous of a moment as Jacob has ever been in. And it's just so appropriate that this is the moment when God meets him. This is the moment when the God who promised his grandfather, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. When that God, in a different way and with different words, reminds Jacob you are part of that promise too. This is when God shows up. And in the scripture, it's an unnamed man. It's like this guy kind of drops in, he parachutes in, and then he gets carried out or somehow. And I think a lot of commentators would agree with this. I certainly think this is true. I think this is one of those moments when we see Jesus in the Old Testament. I really do. I think this is where Jesus, it's almost like he's giving a preview of his life that will be revealed in the New Testament. Why do I think this is Jesus? I think what transpires between him and Jacob is very much in keeping with Jesus' character. I think if you listen for this, this voice of this unnamed man, you can kind of hear Jesus' voice. I think his actions are reflective of Jesus' actions. Because Jesus was filled with love and grace and truth, and Jesus was very clear, and Jesus could be very harsh at times, too. I think we have to kind of take that whole picture into account when we want to look at the real Jesus. So I think Jesus shows up because of his actions and words, and this is where we'll spend a big chunk of our time. I think this is Jesus because of the blessing, because the blessing hurts, because the blessing leaves a mark. And so often when we follow Jesus Christ, there are things in our lives, that when we receive them, oh, they hurt, oh, they hurt. But then there is a blessing. Then there is an unfolding of God's story that is just remarkable. And we look back on it. Hindsight is twenty twenty, really. And we go, oh, God, that was the worst. But, man, thank you for the worst. Thank you for putting me through that. That was so hard. But you were with me, and you were faithful. Here's what I mean. Jacob and this unnamed man, Jesus, they're wrestling. Don't know why they got into a wrestling match. That's its own thing. And he touches Jacob's hip, just touches him right here on the hip. Uh, My mom has had uh, hip replacement surgery, and she's told me about how painful it is. So I can only imagine how painful it was for Jacob in this moment. And the text is very interesting. The text says that Jesus realizes Jacob's going to win. So that's when he touches him on the hip. It immediately flips the dynamic of that moment, right? Because what happens if your hip goes out? You're on the ground. You're not like standing there ready for a fight. You are out. So picture it in your mind, Jacob is laid out on the ground. He's powerless. He's still barking at Jesus telling him, "You're going to bless me, you're going to bless me, you're going to do this." You're like, "Dude, you're laid out. Like stop it. Like enough, right? This is like, you know, the night in uh, Monty Python. Like it's only a flesh wound. It's like, "No, you're out. Like you're done here." And what Jesus says to him is so profound. What is your name? Your name is now Israel. Because you've wrestled with God and you've wrestled with people. And if you think about it, all the junk that Jacob is carrying within him is wrestling with God and wrestling with people. It's fighting his family. It's being deceived. It's, it's marrying the wrong woman and the shame and the distress. It's all there. And it's almost like Jesus, in this moment, names that for him and says, I know what you have kicking around inside of you. And maybe you need to hear that this morning, church. Maybe you need to hear Jesus say to you, I know what's inside you. I know. I know how painful it was to lose your job. I know how awful that divorce was. I know how scared you are for your future. I know. I know. And I believe that we, as a church, will be at our best when we remember that that is Jesus' posture toward us always. I know. I know. He knows this about Jacob, he touches him on the hip, and then there's this immediate cost to receiving the blessing. He is on the ground, he's vulnerable, but think about this. For the rest of his life, every time Jacob takes a step, Every time he puts one foot in front of the other, assuming he is mobile after this, he's going to remember that touch, that word, that moment, that spot of dirt by the river. He's going to remember it every single time. Do you have something like that in your life, church? Do you have, maybe it's a physical ailment, do you have a time of day where you remember something that happened to you? you have a day of the year that you go, oh man, that day's coming, that's tough. My family's uh, grieving the loss of my dad. My dad, as many of you know this, passed away last summer after a very uh, quick and brutal fight with cancer. And so he passed on August 11th. And so my family, even now, we're talking about what are we going to do on August 11th? What's that week going to be like? What's that kind of build-up to that going to be like? My birthday is coming up. My first birthday without my dad's coming up. What's that going to be like? There are these dates, there are these moments that we anticipate because the pain reminds us that there's more going on there than just like, well, i got to go to work that day. And I think for Jacob, every time he took a step after this moment was that moment when he went, oh yeah, God blessed me, but it cost me. And it didn't just cost him his physical mobility. This is what's so fascinating. After this... Jacob goes and he has a dialogue with his brother Esau. This is Genesis 33, and it's almost like like Jacob is just gentler. It's and he's Isaac or uh, Israel now, right? It's almost like in being given this new name, he is given a new identity, and he's not there just to fight and kick and get what he wants. He's conciliatory toward his brother. He's he's gracious in his language. He even refers to him as my lord. He's submissive. To his brother. This is not the same man. It is, but it's not the same man. And this is the transformation that Jesus offers to us, and it will come through brokenness. And you, church, me, all have our stories of God's brokenness, of the brokenness that we have received. Maybe we knew it was from God. Maybe we're like, there's no way God would do this. But whatever it was, it was a brokenness that you didn't plan on, and it changed you. When I was in college, I thought, Uh, the whole time I was in college, like, I'm going to go to law school, I'm going to be a lawyer, like, this is what I'm going to do. I was an English major, so pre-unemployment. And I thought, this is my pathway, like, this will work out for me. I did not have a plan B. And so I took the law school admissions test, and I just remember sitting there thinking during the test, this is not going well. I don't think I'm going to do very good on this test. That's a terrible feeling to kind of have in your heart, right? And I get home, and I tell my roommates how it went, and I'm just like, guys, I think I bombed it. And I called my dad, and I said, dad, I think I bombed it. And he goes, well, I love you. What do you want to do? Like, he was always kind of like, okay, I hear you, but let's take a step. Let's take the next faithful step. I'm so grateful that I bombed the LSAT. It wrecked me in the moment. I was... I was as, as as defeated by that as anything, and yet after that, I finally started to go. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it is this this ministry thing. I'd been involved in ministry and I'd volunteered in my church, but I just thought, no, you know, I'll I'll do I'll do the lawyer thing. I'll be faithful in that, and then I'll find ways to be involved in a church. It finally brought me to the place where I could consider this possibility, and I couldn't see that possibility before. Similar thing happened in seminary. I failed a class in seminary. I failed New Testament Greek. Uh, So my Greek is very good because I've had to do it twice. (laughs) But it really made me think to myself, am I cut out for this? Like, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, Like, who fails Greek? Like, this is terrible, right? Like, this is one of the basic things you're supposed to get to. And I know people in the room are going like, dude, it's Greek. Like, it's not easy. I'm proof that it wasn't easy. And yet... The grace in that was, I failed Greek, it delayed my graduation by a year. One, I graduated in a much better job market than I would have the year before, because we were still climbing out of the recession. Two, I got to take a class from Richard Dahlstrom that I would never have had the opportunity to take, because of that delay, because I was, I got a victory lap. And we've all heard pastors tell stories about how, like, this failure, you know, I'm so glad God made it work out, and that was great, blah, 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 blah. Not every failure, not every wounding feels like that. It doesn't. I'm still so hurt and so lost in my grief at times. And I know that's okay. That's just where I'm at. My dad died not even six months ago. And I'm still in the thick of it. And I know you, church, and I know each of you is in the thick of something. So don't hear me say, oh, I, this happened to me in college, but it worked out. No, fine. If you hear me saying that, you're missing it and you're not hearing the story of Jacob. The story of Jacob is brokenness upon brokenness upon brokenness and we don't know how it's going to work out. And you may be in that moment where you're kind of having to hold the tension of like, this stinks. I don't like this. I am tired. I am sick of being sick. I am sick of getting rejections in my job search. I am sick of not knowing what's next. If you are in the thick of that, You are in good company. And you are in the perfect place for God to do something remarkable in your life. If you're listening, if you're attentive, if you're patient, Jesus' blessings are always good, but they will leave a mark. And sometimes they make you limp. So, do you have a limp? Do you have something that you're carrying in your body right now where you're just going like, I don't know why this this is hurting me. I don't know what's going on here. Jacob carried this brokenness and arguably after his encounter with Jesus Christ, he was more broken than he was before. He didn't limp before, but was he better prepared to do the work that God had for him to do? Absolutely. Was he able to make peace with his brother? We think so. So what are the things that are happening in your body where you're going like, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I've been a perfectly healthy person my whole life. What's going on? Well, have you asked God what's going on? Have you asked him to make clear how this might be a plan that he has for you or how this might be something that he's trying to raise awareness around? What might it be? It might be nothing. It might just be a thing. You might just have a cold. It's a cold. Or you might have the God of the universe trying to get your attention. In Jacob's soul, he's finally able to get closer to healing. Like I said, Genesis 33, Jacob and Esau, they meet again, and Jacob's just softer. He's just gentler in his approach. Have you been through something where you just know on the other side of it, like, yeah, I just, I had a softer heart after that. Maybe you had a close encounter with someone from a historically marginalized group of people. Maybe for me, like, you've had to go through grief to kind of get a little bit softer. Will you praise God for your grief? Will you praise God for the encounters that have broken your heart? Will you praise God for that feeling of like, oh, there's a part of me that's still not comfortable with this, but I want to move into what God has for me. And finally, in Jacob's spirit, he's had this encounter with Jesus, and he just can't walk away unchanged. But he won't see the change that God wants to do through him. If you follow the the line, kind of go down the family tree a couple levels, Jacob's side of the family tree is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those 12 tribes is the tribe of Judah. And out of the tribe of Judah, it was promised and it was fulfilled, came Messiah. Did Jacob know that? No. Not unless Jesus, you know, hey, I'm going to come from the tribe of Judah, like when he's walking away after he's heard him, right? Don't think he knew it. A new life begins to emerge. And the, the wonderful, majestic, confusing, I don't get it, but this is how it works, the wonderful plan of God, it comes to fruition. And that may be happening. I believe that is happening for many of us right now. You can't see it. You don't know where it's going to end up. You don't know why this keeps happening. But there is something happening. And down the road, maybe not even in your lifetime, maybe in your children's lifetime or your grandchildren's lifetime, something happens that is of God and people go, oh my gosh. We, God gave us a clue and we didn't see it and we couldn't have seen it. And here it is. Here it is. Will you be the person that gives voice to that this week, church, when you see that in your own life or in someone else's life? Just a couple of of practical kind of next steps to consider as we wrap up. Brokenness is only as helpful as our ability to reflect on it. And I'm not going to suggest that we just, we all sit Shiva and just think about how broken we are and how terrible we are and, you know, do the self-flagellation thing. What I'm suggesting is consider the places of brokenness in your life. Write them out and hold them out before God. God, I, I hated going through my divorce. I hated it when my dad died. But you're up to more than that. So what is it? What do you want me to see? To that end, may I just suggest that we follow Jacob's example and we seek solitude. Put solitude on your calendar. A lot of you are going, yeah, I got plenty of solitude in my life right now. I don't want any more. Solitude is intentionally setting apart time to seek God in the silence where he is your focus. It's not the same as loneliness. I've got a couple of pictures from a recent opportunity where I was able to seek solitude. This past August, I went hiking up Mount Pilchuck. And this is just what I've been able to do from time to time. I get my backpack, and I put in, you know, a lunch and a couple bottles of water and my Bible and a journal, and that's it. There's nothing fancy about it. I just go on a hike, and I try to listen for God's voice. This particular hike happened the week that my dad died. So I went on this hike on a Wednesday. On Friday, we got the call that uh, they were going to take him off life support. And I'm not going to say that, you know, oh, you know, this, this perfectly prepared me for that. Nothing could have prepared me for that. But I sure am glad I got to spend time with Jesus the week before my dad died. Put solitude on your calendar. Men, come here on Thursday morning and be in the presence of Jesus with other men and pray with me and pray with the men from our community. And women, please help me with this. We need to do a version of this for women. If you are interested in doing a vision retreat, kind of like what we're doing this Thursday, please come talk to me. I would love to have your help. Men, be here at 6 a.m. on Thursday. It won't look quite like this, but it will be a wonderful time for us to reflect and pray and ask God to show us what he wants for our lives. Finally, and I think this is an important takeaway from Jacob's life he spent so much time trying to earn that blessing he deceived his father he made a conspiracy with his mother, he was deceived and then there was no deceiving when he met Jesus so church hold out before God this week where am I trying to earn it? to earn this free gift of salvation. Remember, two two generations before Jacob, Abraham received this blessing. It was there the whole time. It was there the whole time. Jacob didn't have to strive for this. He didn't have to try to kick down the door. It was given to him by God, given to his grandfather and then meant to be passed along throughout the generations. He didn't have to do all this hemming and hawing and working himself into a lather to try to earn this blessing. It was given. And one of my worries for us as a church is that we will miss the blessing that God has given to us in Jesus Christ, in our fellowship, in our community. And we'll just keep working ourselves into a lather about these other things instead of saying, oh God, I see your goodness. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. So friends, I offer these as encouragements and I offer this final thought. If God can use a broken person like Jacob and use his brokenness to bring out a new identity, he can use you And he can use me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you are faithful and good. And we admit, we confess together that a lot of times that goodness is really hard for us to see. It doesn't make it less good, it doesn't make you less good. But it's hard. And our vision is so limited. So would you unveil to us now, in these moments when we get to worship you, when we get to sing, would you reveal in each of our hearts where you have touched us, and maybe we've been limping and we just haven't noticed it, or where you long to bring transformation into our lives? Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you do so to bring glory to yourself? We ask in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.